Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Somewhere between science and superstition. Sights to show you. Strange Eons. Welcome to Strange Eons Radio. That's Eric Margaret over there. Whoa. Hello. And that's <laughs> Vanessa Williams over there. Hi. Uh, you guys, we are celebrating the very first episode in the new Strange Eons studio. And what do you think? I. It's terrifying. <laughs> it's. It, it, it's okay. There's no seagulls standing by. There's, no seagulls. It's visually not as arresting to be sitting here, but it's uh, boy, it's it. It feels like okay, we're here to do a podcast now. It does. <laughs> How do you guys so feel proud. about uh, it being 72 degrees outside and a cool 64 in here right now? I almost texted you, "What should I wear?" <laughs> like before yes. I came over, I was yeah. like, "What's this, what's the temperature now? What do I expect?" Like normally, I come in with a tank top and a sweater, right? Like just to, to cover my. I mean, and you may go through both of them in one sitting. Exactly, so, but oh God, yes. but no longer we no longer have the gigantic magnifying glasses yeah. that are pointing at us while we're recording. So don't that's worry, cool. Don't have to worry about the board getting insanely hot as it sits in the sun. <laughs> yeah. So um, so we are uh, sipping our Westward Stout Cask Single Malt. Thank you very much again, Bob. Yeah, celebrating the show with that today, and uh, mm. I am completely moved out of the old place now. Yesterday wow. was the wow. deep cleaning, and uh, it was a 14-hour day, oh but that God. included a trip to the dump and to Goodwill, so, <laughs> wow. but I'm done. Did you hand in your keys? And... No, I haven't done that because I paid for the month there, and I also paid for my garbage there, and oh. so I'm dumping all my garbage nice. over there so Smart. I don't fill up all the bins here and make everybody angry with my, <laughs> with my recycled boxes. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I mean, it must feel so strange to be in a new place. It is. It is kind of weird. I'm warming up to it, though. Um, it's, it's so much easier to sleep at night when it's oh. not 900 degrees in the bedroom. Oh, sure. And you don't have yeah. neighbors like having domestic... <laughs> situations Power next door. Tools and <laughs> I, I ran into the neighbors because of course they are moving as well. Uh, uh, not their choice this of time. Course. But, uh, but um, you'll re recall there was a little bit of um, domestic abuse mm -hmm. and I, I ran into the girl and I was just, you know, we were talking and everything and I was just really studying her probably in a very creepy way. Um, <laughs> First of all, she's very, very pretty. She's like ridiculously pretty. Yeah. She's also very, very tiny. Mm -hmm. And so I was looking at her going, how does, how does this <laughs> relate to the, the story I heard of her beating up her um, bodybuilder looking boyfriend? Mm -hmm. And then also uh, she was probably weirded out because I kept staring at her teeth and I'm like, where's the meth at? How come you've got <laughs> such good teeth if you're a meth addict? <laughs> Interesting. The plot thickens. Yeah, I, I don't know. But uh, but I said my goodbyes to them. Uh, Bye. She, she was, yeah. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. I hope you can stay at your next place for more than three months. Don't they told get me, kicked out. They told me they were moving to Bellevue. And for our listeners who are not in the area, Bellevue is kind of hoity-toity and yeah. very expensive rent. So <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering how they're going to manage that. That is a weird... 
idea. I you cannot know what, imagine. Though? It's probably just as easy to squat and not pay your rent <laughs> in a $2,800 a month place as it is in a $1,300 a month place. That's so true. That's Good so point. true. Good, good future note, <laughs> if needed. <laughs> if you're going to squat, just go go high. Why not? <laughs> That's right. If you're going to skip your car payments, you might as well be buying a Cadillac. <laughs> Don't do it on your Honda. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, as you might suspect, I did not have a ton of time to watch movies and stuff, but I have mm-hmm. seen a few cool ones this week. Maybe you have as well. Okay. Gunpowder milkshake. Oh my God, I did see that. What did you think? I hated it. I loved it. Oh, okay. <laughs> no one is surprised. <laughs> I uh, I thought it had a shaky opening 10 minutes mm-hmm. and I was about to turn it off and then it suddenly got better, I thought. Very, very cool. <laughs> um, very girl power. And I know that you don't like women very much, so but, that you makes know, sense. That's exactly what was going on. <laughs> right. You know, I can't... I, I was just like, when are the guys going to show up? Jesus. So tired of watching all these movies much. about yeah. women, women constantly. <laughs> well, it's streaming on Netflix. And um, if you care at all what Vanessa thinks, then don't watch it. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I would give it a solid one out of five stars. But for me, like I just felt stylistically like it was um, reaching and not succeeding for other great artists. So that was frustrating to me. I was like, why are we looking at Wes Anderson? Why are we being Tarantino? Why are we doing this or that? And I wasn't a fan of the writing, but all the actors in it were amazing. And it did look gorgeous. Boy, it was maybe all style over substance. It Mm -hmm. was a very, very basic plot. Eric, you did not watch this. It's pretty much a Netflix and it's a, it's a female John Wick. I mean, to the point where they're, you know, instead of a uh, a hotel, there is a library. Yes. Okay. With the similar idea. <laughs> With the similar idea. Yeah, I mean, like you okay. you pay for it. Like, and everywhere they go, there's some sort of internal um, currency system where they've got to like leave their guns at the door. It seems like everybody's part of the same system. It almost oh, okay. felt, I mean, if I was the writer of John Wick, who also wrote Nobody, yeah. uh, I, I would kind of be like, oh, I guess... Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, and I am very, very flattered. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, and Karen, oh, what's her last name? Gillian? Oh, yeah. yeah, something like that yeah. from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. She's always really fun to watch. Like, True. I love seeing her career blossom past Doctor Who. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I got to see something that was kind of an interesting take on something that's existed in the ethos for a long time. And maybe you both checked it out, but I saw the first couple episodes of He-Man on Netflix. I have not seen that. Ah, I haven't either. Art by the same people who did Castlevania. Um, And it's, Really Wild. interesting. It's written by Kevin Smith, right. which my um, favorite. I, I knew you would just be like, "Oh my god, I have to, to watch this right now." <laughs> Everybody, just pause the recording. Um, it's really uh, it's interesting because it has these sort of darker tones and these really um, intense anime moments where the movement and the violence are much more, I don't want to say graphic, but physical. Like everything feels more physical. Like the punches feel harder and the the movements feel um, scarier and everything about that works really nicely. But then they still have a lot of the kid tone to it 
mm-hmm. which I did not yep. expect. So I was like, oh, you're still doing the goofy, like, scaredy lion and oh, the, no. like, oh, the dumb magic from the guy. Like, he keeps messing up the magic. Is the dude with the hat mm-hmm. or whatever? The or- Orco? Is that? Yeah, Orco. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. in this? Dude? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Wow. The, every Everybody's in it. Everybody's in it constantly. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't watch He-Man, so I'm like... I guess you're another main character that everyone's yeah. excited about because they had an action figure of you. But as it's going on, it is becoming a deeper, better story. And it is also surprisingly a girl power story. No, oh, I have heard a lot of complaining online, mostly okay. from men. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sure. So. I mean, because it through, I don't even want to spoil it, but through a series of circumstances, you were following females, mm. um, at least for the first three episodes. Like Shira or? No, no. Um, Tila. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tila and um, a couple of other females that through uh, circumstances have to work together, mm. even though they don't want to. Yeah. My statement there indicates how much I watched He-Man. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am noticing a distinct <laughs> lack of passionate responses yeah. to my I had, bumbles. I had some of the action figures. Um, when I was a kid, but I did not ever remember watching the show much at all. It was also really on the cusp of us being too old for toys, which yeah. is ironic when you're That's in my house. That's weird to think about. But um, but there was a point where it was just like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm 13 or 12 or something. And it's like, yeah, it's time to put away the toys, I guess. Yeah. So. yeah. I, I think you guys would dig it, actually. I think that there's a lot to hang your hat on. And as the story goes, it does really become pretty interesting. Um, I think it's only five episodes, five or six episodes. So. What was that? <laughs> As a motorcycle just drove by. That was like, you could feel <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, that could have been a jet actually. I don't know. It's like that we're on weird. the same level as traffic oh, that's now. True. That's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, speaking of getting that moving in, Vanessa, you completely missed the uh, Fitzcarraldo like. Uh, oh, my God. I saw the pictures. <laughs> oh, my God. The moving of my couch. So it fun. went smoothly without a hitch yeah. uh, i am shocked how did you I, I, mm-hmm. so you took the window out and then you wrapped a rope around your couch and how did that we not tied, just tied the rope to a truck and then we just said go <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah how did it come over with so a, that rope that you see in the pictures and you can see this uh, on our instagram page yeah. and i think it's on the facebook page also yeah, you can see one. the moving of the couch uh because i was on a third story or i was on the third floor of a th- three-story building and uh, the rope that you see is actually just the pilot rope. So mm-hmm. we toss that down to a guy on the ground. Okay. And his whole point while we were lowering it with two other ropes was to pull the couch away from the building. Oh, because it looks so slack. And I was like, what am that's, I staring That's <laughs> because the couch has not gone over the edge yet. Uh, yeah. So, and Eric was uh, taking some pictures and everything. He didn't get the the thing midway because he felt like maybe he should be um, making sure that nothing happened to the couch. And I do appreciate that. And we did have, you know, one, not sorry, beyond you, Vanessa, one other person that showed up half an hour late right after we were done. Oh no. You know, that one extra person would have been exactly what we needed to get a really good video. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. But the thing is from, Getting the couch to the edge of the roof to down to the ground was yeah. one minute, maybe. Oh, yeah, it was really wow, easy. Wow, that's it was, incredible. Uh, the prep took a while. Yeah, Steve Holitz helped me lower it down from the top. Yeah. I love Steve so much. I, I, he's like, what do you want me to do? I said, well, Steve, are you strong? And he says, well, 
that's not for me to decide. That's like asking if I'm handsome. You have to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right, I need you to be strong. So, <laughs> You're going to be strong today. And, and Rick was there too. And Rick Tillman. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And, uh, and yeah, just went off beautifully. Oh man. I'm so bummed. I missed this. I was unfortunately spending four or five days uh, helping my mom move literally everything that sat on her carpet oh, in any of the rooms off of the carpet mm. in any of the rooms. Mm. Uh, so that was a joy. Carpet cleaning? Oh, carpet replacement. Oh, okay. Entire things getting ripped out. So every book she owns, every mm-hmm. she collects dolls, every doll. She, I mean, hundreds, maybe thousands of dolls. Wow. Got oh, moved. Just, just like me. Wait a second. Yes. They're action figures, Vanessa. Uh, yes. And these are, are I guess, dolls? I, yeah, they are dolls, <laughs> but they're nice dolls. They're Robert Tonners and they're other fancy names that I don't I, know much this about. This actually okay. explains your fear of dolls now. I was like, yes. that's yes. the big thing. No, and my mom makes them <laughs> too. Oh, so oh, wow. there's, yeah, there's um, quite a few. She's really good at it. I just hate dolls. So they're little creepy eyes and they're weird expressions and they're, they're all kids. Oh. I don't want little baby kids looking at me all the time. You know, now we're going to need a couple photos of these. So I was just going to say, if your mom is still making dolls, a, a creepy doll a mascot for Strangeons would be very welcome. Oh and my I know God. mom's listening, so She'll let me just it. put that bug in your ear. Yeah, She'll nice, do it. Nice. Oh my gosh. Yeah, she. Um, it's funny because I did re- uh, film, a short film a couple years ago in the cabin. Mm-hmm. And um, some friends of mine came over to give me a hand and they were really freaked out. <laughs> Every room we went in, they're like, there's a lot of dolls in here and they're all looking at me. Do these dolls come alive at night? I thought so as a kid. <laughs> nice. I was very sure. Have you been to, I don't know if it's still there. There used to be a doll museum in, in Bellevue, the place we mentioned earlier, at a an actual doll museum. It's I don't think I have. I've been to many doll shows. I've been to many <laughs> doll p- places of selling things. I don't think I've been to very many doll museums because I've been fighting this world my whole <laughs> life. Like there's a reason I was playing with Ninja Turtles and not Barbies. That's like, fair. That's a good this. reason. While we're still a little off topic here of talking about movies, did you know you made an appearance on another podcast without actually being there no idea what gord from the bone bat podcast uh, episode 196 had a bat in his face oh no <laughs> and steve was gone well you know you know what you need to do i mean i know what you need to do because i listened to Vanessa on strange <laughs> oh, no. radio where she had the same thing but he he isn't going forward with getting the shots so so he was conscious and it was <laughs> flying at him it sounded like it was like on his face. Oh, briefly. You know what? Gord has rights. Yes, Eric. He doesn't have to get so. the, the like. You don't have to, have to do treatment. it, but it is a very bad way to die. Having read <laughs> up extensively on it, and um, once you start getting a symptoms, you're over. So <laughs> as soon as you start to notice things are not okay, it's too late. So wow. I will say, if you're going to get those rabies shots. Fucking do it, bro. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know you, but I care enough to tell it. It's funny. I actually got a um, text message the other day from a friend of mine, and it was two photos, and one of which was a medical bracelet, and one of which was paperwork about rabies. And he's like, Guess who also ran into a bat oh and God. woke up to it dive bombing them in a rental? It's an epidemic. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Gord, haven't you seen the end of Old Yeller or, or Red <laughs> to Kill a Mockingbird? Uh, 
this does not end well when you have rabies. No, no, no definitely no. not. We're trying to eradicate it from this country. Do your part. Get the shot. Get the vaccine. Okay. Get the jab, Gord. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry to hear that though. But I'm I'm so flattered that <laughs> I was able to bring a little bit of advice that That's might right. be ignored into the world. Fun and educational. Exactly. So good. Uh, yeah, we have at least one episode that <laughs> has that. Okay, so I'll bring up the one I figured, you know, somebody will talk about anyway. Fear Street 1666. Have we all watched yeah. that one now? Well, I started. I'd love to hear. I have some Fear Street thoughts. Oh, okay. okay. Um, yeah, I saw it. Yeah, I thought it was... Um, I liked the first one the most. thought the second <laughs> one was fine. And this one sort of sits in the middle for me. Mm-hmm. It starts off kind of interesting, if not disturbingly predictable. Mm-hmm. And then turns into a very violent version of a Stranger Things at the end. There's just something about the way it's shot yeah. and the way things are pulled out in an 80s mall yeah. that can't, on Netflix, that almost can't look anything but like it's from Stranger Things. I think so. it is the same Stranger Things mall. Because the first episode, I was like, I think that's the mall. Hmm. Probably, yeah. So yeah. 1666 goes back to the present. Yeah, it's only about half the movie. Thank yep. Christ, because I thought that was the shittiest stuff I had ever seen. And I was like, <laughs> I cannot sit through this awful attempt at period filmmaking oh, man, with a bunch of young hip people pretending to act like they getting, live in the 1600s and I getting just, into their shrooms and their late night I was yeah. fucking uh, angry party. at the whole thing i mean um, <laughs> i understand that we now we do the opposite of whitewashing now we put people of all races and everything in the middle of early american in 1600s america and act like they would have been just fine getting along together when that yeah. was not the case right. but i get that we do that now to kind of rewrite history but just the language seemed anachronistic oh, the it's very look modern. you know everybody looked like they'd had a shower that morning and right. stuff like that really bothers me in this kind of thing, you know. And but, all and all the kids disappearing in the middle of the night and none of the parents giving a shit or doing anything not about noticing it. in a place where there's no like traffic <laughs> and, and or radios to seem to be tell you that people about are three times the number of kids slash teens that should be in a village as small as they were showing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, it, it had a lot of issues. there was there was definitely problems. I didn't mind having people who looked inappropriate for the time because they did that whole thing at the beginning where it's like she looks in the mirror and she's actually a white girl with red hair. And I was like, oh, okay, I did you miss this? Yeah, I, I saw that. Okay. Yeah, I kind of was like, okay, they're going to use the actors that we're already familiar with and play, put them in here. I don't know why. That's what bothered me. I yeah, was like, there was n- no reason not for necessary. it. I was missing that sweet 1666 tunage, though. I didn't get any of the <laughs> hits the, from that year. The greatest I was waiting. hits of 1666. <laughs> that was, that was the biggest letdown. I was like, come on, hit me with it, guys. I will take it. I will take your sing-songy, like, culty chanting. God, yeah. There's got to be some way. Gregorian chants that were there top of the charts back then. Be. There has to be. Or even just, you know, like, little fun songs people would sing while they're tending the fields. Well, so I, as much as I didn't like it and didn't finish it because I didn't realize I was going to go back to the present, mm-hmm. um... I did finish 1978, and I ended up loving it, probably more than both of you. I think oh, I liked nice. it, my favorite out of the two that I saw all of. Yeah. Maybe I, watching I it in it. two parts is the way to make it work better. <laughs> well, once, once it got into the stuff that you didn't like about it, the witchy stuff, I 
started being more interested in that big throbbing heart of yeah. evil down no, I, below, I was like, oh, this is exactly what I love about shit like this. I think, I think you should finish 1666 because there is a turn in it that I found really hmm. fun. And it left the rest of it feeling like purposeful and I felt like more completed and it gave me an intrigue to what I'd seen before and to kind of how it was ending yeah. that I really dug. No, it wasn't okay. the the witch thing I didn't like. I actually liked it. I just wish they didn't try to be a witch movie and a slasher film from the 80s at the same time. And it just, once it turned to the witch thing, I wish they would have just leaned in and gone all out into the witch stuff and turned what the slasher scenes into something that fit that a little bit more. It just seemed disconjointed but no i thought that was what it should have been should yeah have they been could have one pulled movie. it you're totally right they could have pulled the slasher almost entirely and just done mm. some weird witch thing happening during summer camp and that would have been pretty fun or even done a turn like they do in the 1666 where it starts off for the first half is a pure slasher movie mm-hmm. and then oh we discover the witch stuff we're we're done with trying to f- this camp thing yeah, <laughs> and make it bitch. But yeah, no, I thought that part was really good. I, I hear your complaints and uh, <laughs> I agree with me. I think it was the best of the three. Uh, it's been so long now and I, watching the full last one really does change your perspective of everything else. So I'm like, I don't even, uh, they're all mushing together now. <laughs> it's yeah. all becoming one very long film. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I... Also, uh, oh, do I get to go again? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Did I skip you? Jeez. Jeez, I'm so sorry because you were talking so much. I just assumed <laughs> it was your pick. <clears throat> I wish I was joking. <laughs> wow. Got a little uncomfortable in here. Sorry. Dropping some truth bombs. <laughs> I can take it. Uh, but I did see something that I wonder mm-hmm. if you guys saw. Just came out last night or something, uh, <laughs> Blood Red Sky. No, what is this? This is brand new on Netflix. It is a German vampire movie. It's about a woman who is taking her son on a flight and uh, she has timed everything. She's going to get some kind of special medical treatment in the United States and she has timed everything that the entire time they are in the air, it is nighttime because of the oh. way the time changes and all this. Uh-huh. Uh, but it just so happens there are hijackers on the plane. And uh, they are going to, you know, kill everybody on board. And she vamps out and starts taking care of business. I have seen the trailer for this and it looked incredible. Is she like an old school vampire? Um, like a Nosferatu looking She, she does get that way, but the, the type of vampire she is is definitely not uh, like old school okay. rules. Sure. So. Wow. Uh, I will say this as a trigger warning for some people. Some violence to animals. So there's that. But, <laughs> but I, really, I really, really enjoyed it. It's got uh, kind of that act two problem where, I mean, the movie is long. Right. And the middle could it's have like been squishy. cut a lot of just kind of not much happening. Yeah. Did it feel like the other characters were compelling and interesting or was it just like, man, you guys are just sitting on your plot because you're not really sure how to get through it? Well, I <laughs> I actually love the other characters because one of the main ones is uh, who's the big burly guy from Prison Break who was also in The Flash and... Uh, oh, 
I know who you mean, but yeah, I've never known Dominic his name. Purcell or something yeah, like that. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, he's one of the main baddies. Oh, okay, well, that's cool. Yeah, and I thought that it was pretty interesting. So, so is it a English language German production? Or it is. It goes back and forth with oh, some okay. stuff. I think that you can get it dubbed or subtitled. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I think I was watching it subtitled, but then I noticed that a lot of the actors were speaking English and they were still subtitling the English. And I was like, oh, this is English now. No, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I that guess I could just take it off. That's so weird when that happens because you continue to read and yeah. you hold on. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'll shut up, um, Vanessa. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be an insult. I really was just confused as to whose turn it was. Um, so have either of you guys seen another kind of recent film? This one from Amazon. Tomorrow War with um, Chris Pratt. Oh, I've heard many things about it. I have as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts. It's fucking amazing. Wow. (laughs) That is not what I expected. I did not think that would be what I thought either. Um, Now, hold on. (laughs) Take a step back because that is the only positive statement I have ever heard (laughs) anyone say about this film. So I'm curious, is it because it's a very strong disaster movie and it Hits you in that place? Yes. Okay. okay, so it is a strong, good disaster movie. It's got time shit that probably doesn't make sense, but is super fucking fun. And the monsters in it are incredible looking. Like, I think what they did, because I was trying to work it out at the time, because they look fucking visceral. And they make the um, monsters from Quiet Place look like puppies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think what they did is they molded, like they actually physically created the first one and then uh, digitized it and uh, used it as a map for the rest because they feel really good. Uh, it's just, it, it's dumb. I know it's dumb, but I don't think it's bad. Like, I think it's actually pretty consistent like story across the board i didn't i wasn't frustrated i wasn't bored i didn't i wasn't angry at like plot holes although i'm sure that they're like i said there's time travel and there's science fiction and there's end of the world i'm sure there are like weird plotty annoying sure. things so, but so the, the premise is people from the future that is being overrun by these aliens come back to now and yes. are bringing people as fodder like basically as yeah exactly like to fight the war kind of like how russians were throwing people during world war ii just literally needing bodies to push forward so yes a gate opens during like a big nfl i don't know super bowl or some shit and like some <laughs> people walk out <laughs> some people walk out and they're like uh yeah okay so in x amount of time from now i think it's not very far in the future it's like 50 years or less um the world is going to end we have these um creatures that have emerged we don't know how they got here but there are these aliens that are taking over and we need your help now because otherwise we are going to all die. So (laughs) they start recruiting people and it's not just like soldiers, it's fucking anybody. So you get like little grandmas and you get, you know, moms and you get people clearly um, that you're following actually a science teacher, which is why he wasn't recruited initially. And he's also, um, but he is also military. And then the other person he spends a lot of time with is also a science teacher, but not physically fit. Um, So it's a lot of fun to watch. Actually, um, I think it's the guy, is the guy from Werewolves Within? Yeah. The African-American gentleman. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I like him. Do they ever explain why they couldn't just go back far enough in time to get us ready for when these aliens show up and stop them? 
I'm early? trying to think if they do, they do explain why the timeline works as in so far as they're not consistently going further and further back in time. I believe there's a set amount of time that they can go back to. And then every day that passes there is a day that passes here. So if you go into the future and it's like a week later, it's a week later there. Yeah, that's some pretty shaky time travel bullshit. It's there. like, yeah, yeah it's like yeah. A, a beginning and an end that's constantly moving at the same pace. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. But they also tell you, we literally duct tape this together. It's shocking. <laughs> it works at all. We just needed to have some solution. So I think that helps a little bit um, sure. with the, it's, it's fucking crazy. It's a fucking crazy movie. A thumbs up from you though. Yeah. It should not be good. It should be garbage. I really enjoyed it. Look, I'll tell you this. I, I have very little faith in your opinion on I films, know. but you, <laughs> you told me I would like Geostorm yeah. and I watched that piece of shit and I fucking loved it. <laughs> right? So, so I bad. might have to check out Tomorrow War now. I, I think you should. I'm sorry for all the weird plot holes you're definitely going to be annoyed by, but it's so fucking fun. <laughs> it's so fun. The monsters are so good. Well, while you two seem to continually get divergent in your opinions of others, your <laughs> combined opinions of large-scale action movies, <laughs> no matter how shitty they are, <laughs> still works. I'm, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I can't remember if you hated the volcano movie or not. But... Which one? <laughs> I did, but uh, yeah. just because it was really bad. Oh, okay. I mean, it was. You're not wrong. <laughs> Speaking of really bad. Yeah. Over the last few weeks, I've been roped into uh, my wife's want to rewatch some of the films she liked when she was a kid. Oh, no. To varying degrees of success. Uh -oh. oh, it's a series. It's one series of films. Uh-oh. I'm now so through like... six of seven of these damn movies. Ooh. The Police Academy films. No. <laughs> Holy cow. I That's... remember the first one first being funny good. and first maybe even good. the second one when Bobcat Goldthwait shows up. First one's pretty good. Second one has moments. The third one actually is more successful than the second. Interesting. And uh, then... Citizens Guten on Patrol or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> God, why do I know these things? I'm shocked. Gutenberg leaves. Oh, I sure. Think, Even I he had had enough of this. Yeah. <laughs> and they bring in what, uh, Michael McCarty or something like that? I forgot this nice guy's name. He's a very recognizable actor. The problem is he looks like a cop that will shoot you in the face. <laughs> So all these fun, goofy things that he's trying to do that uh, Gutenberg would have done feel very threatening <laughs> at first. This <laughs> so feels like, like that X-Files turn when they got rid of Mulder and then they had like the T-2000 <laughs> T or whatever. And you're like, oh, T-1000. Yeah. Robert Patrick, like, oh, yeah. Fuck. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, I'm glad there's only one more. <laughs> well, um, I'm sorry to let you know, Eric, that there is a new police academy uh, okay. coming up. Um, you know, it's Police Academy 9, the BLM movement. <laughs> what? Why do I think you're full of crap on <laughs> Wait, I was with you for so long and then I got confused. But, uh, you know, the... The joke of the, the, you know, the best part of the most of these movies is the guy that makes the sound effects. Yeah. Sure. But unfortunately, every movie decides he has to do that thing where he moves his mouth and speaks incorrectly, like watching an old bad dubbed Hong Kong movie. Right. Uh, you know, after, after four movies, you can find out something new for this guy to do. Yeah. Boy, what's that guy? Michael Winslow? Is that him? Is, uh, yeah, actually what does he do now? popped up on um, YouTube in a uh, America's Got Talent. Where he did, I guess, his first, like this year, mm. did his first live comedy show he's done in a very long time. Because I guess his wife died 
in the mid to early 90s oh, and man. kind of pulled him back from doing a lot of work. Way to bring us all down. Yeah, Rick. but he was, he's great. He was really good. It was very bizarre because uh, your favorite guy, Simon Cowell, mm. loved it. I have never seen that guy in anything laugh like he did on that and wow. praise him up and down about how his comment was something to the effect. Remember, there's there's all these new school people out here. And what we need to do is also have old school comedians come in and show them how it's done, which you just did. I was like, wow. who the hell is this? But, Jesus. Uh, Simon Cowell, you've never been older and whiter. <laughs> <laughs> and it just keeps getting whiter and older oh, as time goes. Yes. But uh, so, yeah, that's what he's been doing. But yeah, the, uh, yeah, this not recommended. It was a lot of fun to watch all the Fast and the Furious movies. It's <laughs> a lot of fun to watch some of those other things. This one has been interesting. Occasionally funny, although although I will say they do often push into the so bad it's good kind of level of comedy, which is pretty damn refreshing. <laughs> sure, sure. Wow, well... Uh... How about we take a little break, you guys? <laughs> I got to find out all the names of the Police Academy movies. And uh, when we come back, we are going to be talking documentaries. It's the Pizza Head Show. Hey, everybody. I just got this new telescope. And, hey, what's that? <laughs> Greetings, Pizza Head. We are the Stevians. Hey, you are Sure we are. What is this thing? The cheesinator will transform you into a stuffed crust pizza. Is this necessary? Sure it is. We're aliens. That's what we do. What have you done to me? You are now stuffed crust pizza head. You will tell the world to eat their pizza crust first. No problem. See you next time. Hey, bye. What a bunch of weirdos. We are back. Vanessa, this was your subgenre. I'm not even sure we can call it a subgenre this time. Yeah. You picked documentaries. I, I, yeah, I just straight up picked a genre, but I guess it's a subgenre of uh, horror because I picked documentaries, but I wanted it to be either about somebody who made Stardin or a, a horror film itself. I found this to be a really difficult one to um, to sum up like we would yes. no normally do because yeah. I couldn't yeah. find, you know, like trivia and I stuff know, like that. I know, there's no because, real trivia. Because the whole movie is kind of about the trivia. Yes. And also I was like, well, a documentary is generally not three acts and, nope. and stuff like that. So I found this interesting. So I'm very curious to see what you've got here. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know what? I ran into the exact same problems as you, including like who's starring in it, <laughs> like all that kind of stuff. Um, and also, you know, how to, how to talk about these in a way that's um, kind of makes sense, I guess. But the, the film I picked, I, really am thrilled with, which was Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. In the midst of the 1980s, no one was scarier than Freddy Krueger. I love Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, I was obsessed. Loving Freddy Krueger, loving A Nightmare on Elm Street. But part two came along and it was just a strange movie. For a lot of us, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 was our introduction to like... There's a lot of gay in that movie kind of a siren song for the queer horror community. Mark Patton's a, I mean, he's a scream queen. I wake up in the middle of the first movie that I'm the lead actor in and realize that there's a gay subtext in it. It wasn't subtext, it was right there. This movie is the gayest thing 
And we did Xanadu last month. Some of the circumstances around the making of this film created a lot of hurt for him. And people ask you about it, you say, no, Mark was just so gay that he ruined the movie. You know, the mainstream public, they weren't ready for a male scream queen. They couldn't articulate it. I think the word is homoerotic. That it wasn't owned as a queer film made a light shine on him that was completely inappropriate. The film that was poised to launch his career ended up destroying it. Mark Patton pretty much disappeared. He was the Greta Garbo of horror. I was not an out gay actor in Hollywood in 1985. I was a gay person and I was living in terror. In the 1980s, to be queer was to be this sort of diseased pariah. I think, in a way, Mark Patton paid the price for that. It was on the page of the script, and I knew we were treading in there. This is not a delusion that I'm having. You filmed in one of the biggest gay bars in Los Angeles. Oh, was that a gay bar? Yeah. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, you can play with it all you want. I wanted to be a movie star. This movie destroyed it. That's what made him go a little crazy. The movie was 30 years ago, and you're still pissed off at Dave Jasper. You've been lying for 30 years about this. Yeah, I never wrote, you know, he screams like a woman. If you don't think that this is all interconnected, then you need to do your math again. Uh, oh, 2019, yeah, uh, available on Shutter. I have not seen this. Um, yeah, so uh, really, really interesting doc. And uh, part of the reason why I chose this is because I had already talked about Nightmare on Elm Street 2. And since it's all about the guy who starred in that movie as one of the first basically male last girls, final girls. Sure. Right, okay. I, I found it really fascinating uh, to get some of that behind this uh, scene stuff. So it's co-directed. This this whole film's kind of put together by some really weird random people. <laughs> um, so there's uh, two co-directors, Roman Chimenti, who has 99 sound department credits. And this is the only directing credit he's ever had. The other director slash editor, Tyler Jensen, who's known for doing a lot of music video direction, but he really only has three other directing credits. Uh, one's a short and one's a TV episode and the, all the rest is music. So it was really fascinating to be like, wow, these guys got a real handle on documentary storytelling in no time. Yeah. So I was really impressed. And it's um, produced in part also by the star. Uh, Mark Patton is who we're following in this. Um, you also get to see Robert England, of course, who plays Freddie. A lot of interesting people being uh, interviewed, including Jack Shoulder, who directed um, the the film, and David Chaskin briefly is in it, and he's the writer. And I'll get more into that uh, <laughs> shortly. Um, and it's narrated, however... I thought this was interesting by Cecil Baldwin, who is the voice of Welcome to Night Vale. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So they got like a podcast star. So it was really like kind of an indie effort. Like you could just feel it when looking up the the kind of crew info. I am not a fan of that podcast, but that guy has a soothing voice. Such a good voice. <laughs> I haven't listened to it, but I assume it's good because everyone loves it. I don't know. Mm. Um, so the plot. Basically, after Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge debuted in 
sank. Uh, Mark Patton disappeared off the map. Um, no one knew what had become of him, basically until a group of filmmakers created the documentary Never Sleep Again in 2010, where they found him living in Mexico. <laughs> Uh, he agreed with extremely sp specific criteria to talk about his role, uh, which kind of led him to come back to public life and to start looking at the internet and what people were saying on <laughs> the internet. Uh, much to his horror and joy, it really inspired him to make this documentary where he could tell his side of the story of what happened with that film because he has such a unique perspective. Um, he talks super frankly, which is exciting. Um, his story is pretty wild just to get into it. Um, in 1977, he basically, uh, he was living in a small you know, I think he was in a Midwestern town some more. He got a one-way ticket to Manhattan and basically said, peace out world. Um, <laughs> he showed up at an agency and was like, I'd love to be an actor, please. He had no idea how to do anything. And they were like, what? He's like, I would like to become an actor. How do I do that? And they were like, well, you're hot. So you're going to be in commercials. Here you go. <laughs> and he just started getting this like really quick success. Was he hot? I always thought he was a little unusual looking. 80s, 80s. He looks weird in the movie. Yeah. But I think when you see him yeah. just as like a face, he has like a really boy next door face. Okay. That's intriguing. He gained pretty quick success. He starred with Cher on Broadway in the show Come Back to the Five and Dime, uh, Billie Jean, Billie Jean. It was a huge success. And then he also got to star in the Robert Altman version. And he just kind of skyrocketed to fame. He talked about how he was suddenly kissing David Bowie under the staircases. And <laughs> through all this, he ended up moving to L.A. where he was playing uh, roles alongside George Clooney and having dinner with Merv Griffin. And he was just suddenly really um, hot shit. However, he had basically played a cross-dresser in um, Come to the Five and Dime, Julie, uh, Billie Jean, Billie Jean, sorry, Billie Dean. Billy Dean. Uh, anyway, um, it does not matter. Um, and his agents were like, hey, man, you got to like, we need to market you. And you're not marketable if you are just seen as gay. Um, and he was, he actually is gay and he was closeted and did not want to ruin his career. So he was looking for boy next door roles, which led him to take up Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Uh, he read it as being a heartthrob character. And was really excited about it. And then about halfway into filming, to his horror, he realized that he was shooting a film with a really strong uh, subtext and undercurrent of uh, homoerotic themes. And it was kind of too late um, to make it worse. He did that dance scene, um, which <laughs> the crew basically was like, yeah, you're fucking awesome. This is so good. And uh, if anyone has not seen this dance scene, I, I encourage you to go to YouTube and look it up because it is magic. It is pure it's pretty crazy <laughs> it's pretty insane and when he was watching it in the theater he was like are you guys fucking kidding me this is so bad why didn't you tell me why didn't we retake it why didn't we do something different like what the fuck no. um so out of this film there was a huge blowback um and his agents just freaking burned him and his career pretty much became super in danger. And at the same time of this, um, his also closeted boyfriend, Timothy Patrick Murphy, who was a star in The Love Boat and Dallas, so really closeted because was also a heartthrob, contracted AIDS and died. 
Um, so, and as well as a lot of friends around him, um, this was during the big AIDS scare and everyone was just kind of disappearing. And anytime your friend would stop talking to you, you just assumed they were dead. That wow. was, yeah, yeah, it was a rough fucking time. So of course he um, also contracted HIV. Uh, suddenly the homophobia, the gay bashing became norm. And um, he also was ghosted by all of Hollywood. So he was just like, fuck it, and went to Mexico. And he ended up in a hospital for, I think, over a year. He nearly died several times. He had at one point tuberculosis as well as HIV. He was fucking sick. And at that point, um, he started uh, doing little doodles in a, new, a notebook and became like an artist. He was like, yeah, okay. I'm going to make cool art. And uh, uh, when he finished up, he opened a shop in Puerto Vallarta um, and he met his now husband and just started having a really great life. So after the documentary came out of Never Sleep Again, he saw on the internet that there was um, a lot of anti-gay um, sentiment in there, but also a lot of like LGBTQ kids who saw themselves on screen for the first time through his character. And he was like, you know, maybe I'll do a convention or two. Maybe I'll see what this is all about. And there was so much love and inspiration and uh, joy from these people who are coming by and meeting him that he was like, shit, I need to like do something about this. Um, so he went ahead and he's basically now a gay activist. He talks openly about having HIV um, to his fans and to audiences so he can put a face to the disease and he's just doing the convention circuit. Really a positive thing. However, um, he was really still angry at the people behind the film who basically weren't taking any responsibility, weren't making any sort of efforts to apologize to him or to even acknowledge how awful it ended up being for him. So he actually, um, in the film, confronts both the director and the writer. Uh, the director, Jack Shoulder, is really distressing to watch that scene. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. he he's tone deaf yeah. to the highest degree. Mm -hmm. It's He doesn't get what... Yeah. What happened? He doesn't understand. He doesn't it's understand. Very weird. Yeah, it's really strange. He basically tells him like, "Well, I, I'm sorry. I'm talking to you, and you seem fine. I don't. I think you need to just get over your shit because that was a long time ago." And and it, like the the star of this, uh, Mark Patton, is such a sweet guy that he's like, "Well, you know, he talked to me about it, and I feel really at peace with this conversation." And I was like, "Fuck, dude, I wouldn't. I'd punch him in the." fucking face <laughs> but okay although jack shoulder basically says you know just fucking leave it he does go ahead and um, get an interview with david chaskin it's like one-on-one -on -one. that's the writer now david chaskin the problem is initially he completely said that there was no gay subtext he never wrote that in there it was total accident um but now that it's cool he's like yeah i knew I told, of course I knew we we're shooting in an S&M club. Like, I mean, I definitely knew. And of course, um, Robert England totally knew at the time because he was using it in the way he acted. He was yeah. caressing his face in a sexual manner. And he said he was doing it because he wanted to basically seduce him on screen. So he, he knew at first Chaskin, <laughs> when confronted is a little like, no, like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I, you, that's the director's fault and that's the so-and-so's <laughs> fault. And it's not my fault that like your career, like you needed to act better. And then he kind of shuts up 
and just listens. And then he genuinely does apologize, which is nice. So at the end, Mark kind of gets the thing that he needs to continue on. And um, yeah, that's that's what the documentary is about. It was nominated for 2021 GLAAD for Outstanding Documentary, and it's available on Shutter. Wow. Yeah, so it's an interesting watch. I, I hope he truly feels that way because it seemed in the movie, it didn't really feel like a resolution was reached real well between those three people. I mean, not together. I don't think it ever can. I was just going to say, how could it be? Yeah, exactly. It it is harsh to say that was a long time ago. You need to get over your shit. But quite honestly, we all need to get over our shit. Otherwise, we're just going to carry the shit around all the time. So Yeah, I think it's such a deep tragedy to have your partner die of AIDS in front of you while you're also bombing your career at the same time. Sure. I can see that wound being so deep and knowing you can pin it on something specific really does create a hurt that will never truly heal. Well, he also did pretty much heal it. Yeah. Oh. Or he was living his life just fine. And then yeah. he said, you know what? I'm going to go and confront this and bring this up again. Right. Even though I did deal with it, seemed to have dealt with it perfectly fine. He right. had his business, he had his husband, but then he said, you know what? Let's bring this back and talk about why it was a problem and why yeah. it still can matter. So I think personally, he probably did do what the director said. He just fine. But he decided, you know what? I need to get you yeah. to also... <laughs> Right. Deal with what you've done as yeah. a creative. And the act person. of confrontation can sometimes be enough yeah. of a c- cathartic moment because yeah. you've you've finally stood up and said, you know, this is how I feel. Yep. The other person's response to that is not nearly as important as you finding the strength to say something yeah. about I it. I totally agree. I totally agree. And and going from being um, closeted about your sexuality to straight up going up to somebody saying, I'm gay. And this fucked me up. Like, <laughs> it's really, yeah, I think that is really powerful. I feel like the film, it was a pretty strong, interesting documentary. Yeah. I think it was well told, well done. It didn't feel, didn't feel overly long. Yeah, just, I, I, I genuinely did like it. Whether or not you think the subject matter is, it, it's hard to know if, you know, like you guys said, there's there's pros and cons, right? Like you sure. you understand and also don't understand his situation and why he's like so deep into this um, problem. But I think it's really interesting from a LGBTQ um, perspective to watch all these people also come out of the woodwork and relate. And that was a really neat yeah. part of the documentary. Yeah. That's good. Watching drag queens who like uh-huh. <laughs> are like dressed up as Freddie and like introducing Mark and having them talk about like the film is really fun. Yeah, that's yeah. good. I want to see this one. Yeah, it's really good. What about you guys? What did you uncover? Shall I go first? Sure. I found something that is spectacular and oh. it is on Prime and it is called Memory, The Origins of Alien. Every film is a product of its time and tells you something about the time it was made. There's a special status that comes to some films that lodge in the audience's collective imagination. Alien is certainly one of those films. Alien is a radical break with science fiction and that sanitized view of space. Hans-Rudiger's images, they were sexual, mechanical, biological, and Ridley Scott was a gift from the gods. 
really wasn't certain how that was going to happen. All this innards of a cow and the blood. That was really wanting this to connect to the phobias that come from our ancient past. They were all thinking about this as more than a science fiction adventure in the future. There is a commentary in there about what we're doing as human beings. Questions of where did life come from? What does it mean to be human? One scratch on global disaster. About those monsters outside the movie theater. It's haunting. Alien was talking about something that we're still not comfortable addressing. Have you guys seen this? I have not. But once you mentioned it, I was like, shit. <laughs> we missed out on a really good opportunity. Yeah. Is it a newer one or is it? 2019. Oh, okay. Uh, I could find no information for the budget. Box office of 37,000, which I'm assuming is all the festivals it played at. Mm-hmm. Rotten Tomatoes critics give this 81% and the audience gives it 92%. And I am right there with them. Right. Mm. Written and directed by Alexandra O. Philippe, uh, who did The People versus George Lucas. 7852, Hitchcock's shower scene, and <laughs> one of my favorite movies from last year, That Leap of Faith, William Friedkin on The Exorcist oh. documentary. Nice. So this guy just knocks it out of the park every yeah. time. Ah. It includes interviews with Veronica Cartwright, Tom Skerritt, Roger Corman, Diane O'Bannon, who was uh, Dan's. Dan's wife, mm. and uh, just a host of directors, actors, and even some scholars and experts in mythology. This is an experience um it's not a making of documentary it's a thinking of documentary oh is it so it's did you see his psycho one yes so is it sort of like very similar to that and it's it's really interesting i'll get into that a little bit later um because it's it's like you're watching um an a speech by somebody who is so knowledgeable about the subject and you, you know, you're interested in the subject. So you're just kind of sitting there going, Oh, I didn't know that. (laughs) Especially on a movie that, you know, we love and we know almost everything about getting this kind of uh, look at it is really, really interesting. Um, It's, it's super, it was super stimulating to watch Mm -hmm. it. I was just like, uh, because I'll get into it. It makes you think about these things in Mm -hmm. a completely different way. So it's not a uh, it's not a how did we make it movie. It's why we made it the way we made it kind of film. Nice. Mm-hmm. That whole seventy eight. What was it? Seventy eight fifty two. I think it's super interesting that he chose a, a film like that, which had such a shocking scene in it that he made an entire documentary that kind of is talking yeah. about that. This whole documentary is leading up to the chestburster scene. Oh, oh, okay. What? And, and it's really interesting that he's just like, he's kind of picked these scenes of these films that were so shocking and made such an impact on the, the genre. Zeitgeist uh. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so to that end, he's got all these really great interviews with like Veronica Cartwright, where she talks about being on the set and, and they've got these just great great discussions about things you don't hear about in the movie. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's very little talk of like working with Ridley Scott, but um, 
Veronica Cartwright has a, a nice story where she talks about the crew all coming in in the morning to do the chestburster scene and the place just reeked because they had set it up the night before and they used like animal intestines. Oh, oh no. And so <laughs> in that scene, they're just, you know, near vomiting. Oh my God. Right. And poor uh, Hurt had to be pushed into it and then kind of had that around oh. it. So he was just right there while it was going on. <laughs> and it's it's got these great shots of like the film and her reaction. Remember her reaction is kind of the mm -hmm. one the film focuses on because she gets hit with blood and then she slips at one point. But she's, so while that shot is being played, you're hearing her discuss the stuff that was going on and it's just edited so beautifully because she's like, she's like, I'm just horrified by the smell. I got blood on me and then I <laughs> slipped and I was like, fuck, I slipped. I screwed my stuff up. But then she goes, and then I noticed everyone was still in the scene. So I had to get back up and pretend to still be horrified. <laughs> and I, I was just watching this like, holy shit, I never got this kind of insight into a film before. Wow. Diane O'Bannon talks about, uh, Diane O'Bannon is kind of like um, the person who is walking us through a lot of this because she was there from the beginning, from the sure. beginning of Dan writing the story and everything. And she tells this story that I thought was really interesting because he got the, uh, the idea for this. He was obsessed with insects on the farm where he grew up. Mm -hmm. And so that was just always something he was like mulling about and talking about with her. As a young boy, he suffered from Crohn's disease, which is a chronic yeah. gastrointestinal disorder. And you see this kind of stuff seeping into the things oh. he was writing about. And, and the Crohn's disease is what finally killed him, actually. Wow. So I thought that was super interesting. The, uh, the production and the design and the direction of this is really interesting because it kind of follows the look of Alien. So the interviews are done in black space and the lighting is kind of set up to have that kind of gray and green lighting to match the actual film, which wow. I thought was really interesting and match uh, Geiger's design. Um, one of the things I really loved was when he, when he switches to archival footage of other interviews, he pops that up on uh, computer screens that look like you're in the, the Nostromo. Oh. <laughs> so you're watching this old interview on these screens. And it's just like, fuck, the production design on this documentary is as cool as the movie that it is talking about. They talk a little bit about Yudorowsky's Dune, which is what brought Dan O'Bannon and uh, Geiger together in the first oh, place. That's right, yeah. wow. And then they talk about how the, the spaceship landing on the planet where it finds the derelict spaceship, that was supposed to be pyramids actually, but they had to scale it down and everything. Super interesting though, that in Prometheus, of uh, course, Ridley Scott goes back to that idea. So yeah. it's just like, this is really, really interesting stuff. It, so, so everything is circling around, you know, in a regular making of movie, you'd kind of talk about, you'd go beginning to end kind of, and then talk about like the release of the film. None of that stuff is happening. Everything is circling around to the climax of this documentary, which is that chest bursting scene and all of the stuff that went into it. And it's really, really interesting because they they bring in these uh, experts on birthing and, oh and mythology, <laughs> talking about, you know, what this movie is really about. And uh, the movie is about 
impregnation, Mm -hmm. gestation, Mm -hmm. birth, transformation, and stuff like that. And you're hearing these people who are all experts in completely different fields talking about what this movie actually is saying, even though Ridley Scott was probably not saying that at all, but but this is what this movie is saying. You you just can't deny that this is what's going on and what it has meant to us as a uh, a genre of, or not a genre, but a generation of watchers and how it has gotten into the zeitgeist and all of this stuff. And at the end of it, I was just like almost euphorically exhausted. When the credits rolled, I was like, that was fucking amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I had a smoke, and then I, uh, I went to bed and slept very soundly. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so good. I love that it took um, such a unique approach, because I assume that all the rest has been covered like a thousand times. Oh, yeah. It was one of those things where going into it, I was kind of like, ah, is this going to be a movie like Eric listening to a podcast or, or a, 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 a behind-the-scenes thing of Val Luton after we've listened to so much of Val Luton? I was like, right. is this just going to be something that I'm going to kind of get bored with because I already know it? And it was not that That's way at cool. all. Well, that sounds like, because I found the psycho one fascinating, but lacking something. And what it was lacking is the fact that none of those people are there to talk about it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you throw that into the mix of what he did with that scene. Yeah, that's that's a must watch. It's it, it was really neat to see Veronica Cartwright talking about it because yeah. I don't feel like we get much you know, information from her very often. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously most of the making of stuff probably has Sigourney in it Mm -hmm. and and, uh, Ridley Scott. I assume Sigourney, so it sounded like she wasn't in this at all. There's some archival interviews, but uh, I just love, you know, Tom Skerritt was one of our teachers at the film school and it's always neat to hear him talk because he's got such an interesting voice, but he's got great, memories and when you just kind of let him discuss things and and there's some some cool stuff in here with him it's like ah what a pleasure to just listen to this classic actor you know so uh i must thank you vanessa for picking this (laughs) very difficult you're welcome i should have had you go last (laughs) mine's good mine's very good but it's just a documentary it's not a an experience. It's not a cultural thing like Vanessa was, and it's not something totally unique and different like Kelly's was, but it's a good documentary. <laughs> we need those. We need it to balance us out. <laughs> this was uh, Tales of the Unca- Uncanny. Guillermo del Toro made this observation, ever since humans gathered around a campfire and could talk, we've been telling stories about the dark and what lives inside it. Are you ready to be scared? of a lot of different talents and a lot of different voices. Which allowed the stories to be comedic sometimes or dark as hell. Very weird. Nightmare fuel. It's so difficult to say favorites. I really like the Corbin Post. I mean, do I like Tales from the Crypt or what? You were pushing with that makeup. That was a seminal image. One of the first film posters I ever designed was Music Club. It was just monsters. It was gore. It was fun. This isn't the bloody army. This isn't the bloody army. This is not the bloody army. 
actually do a poll. There's always a lot of debate about what's their favorite episode, what's their favorite film. We interviewed over 60 different people. I mean, I've seen lots of Obamacus, Black Sabbath, Creep Show 2. Yeah, that's a great one. I just was like, ah. You were always kind of cherry picking which segment you like best. I just couldn't narrow it down to one. The high point to me has always been a dead night. That little segment is one of the most terrifying films I've ever seen. It's one of my absolute favorites. It was really fantastic. Even though I worked on Creep Show, it's my favorite. I share that sensibility with a lot of horror fans. There's something about that human desire to want to tell scary stories to each other. Uh, which is a Blu-ray release from Severin. It is available on YouTube rental and some called Flix Fling, which I keep showing, see showing up, but I've never even looked on. There's no Rotten Tomato score at all. I mean, it's not even listed. Mm-hmm. Rotten Tomatoes at all. It's directed by David Gregory, who we've talked about before on the show. He's one of the co-founders of Severin Films. He did Lost Souls, uh, Blood and Flesh, The Real Life, and Ghastly Death of Al Adamson, or his like bigger ones he's got that i believe he did the one on folk that's currently touring film festivals on folk horror and uh you know he's got 229 directing credits because he does tons and tons of extras on severin dvds and their documentary so he knows how to put together a doc <laughs> and this is very well put together you've got like chris alexander who's a former edit- editor of fangoria uh, my and my favorite writer from Rube Morg when I was reading it more regularly, Mick Garris, who's you know everybody's buddy in horror. Yes, <laughs> uh, Brian Usna, Roger Corman, Joe Dante, uh, Yovanka Yukovic, who took over after when Chris left, took over Rube Morg, and also is a pretty good filmmaker in her own right. So, and that's just this top is is stacked with people. Why? Because it was made started to be made before the pandemic hit. So it was also done during the pandemic. So you could just call up, hey, Mr. Joe Dante, you want to take 20 minutes and talk to us about anthology films? (laughs) So (laughs) tons of people show up. I think far more than they ever would have had. Uh, I think there's at least 60 people that show up as talking about anthology films throughout this thing. It's largely just kind of talking about as anthology films popped up. But some of those kind of interesting is that I didn't realize that they are their origin largely comes from puppet shows. Mm-hmm. And part of that was because Fritz Lang was a puppeteer. And a few other German film directors went on from puppeteering to make movies. One thing that's on the disc, which I haven't had a chance to watch yet, they include two previously unavailable silent films that are anthologies mm-hmm. that had not been released at all. That sounds like maybe TV sometime. But, of course, they dive in with the true start of successful anthologies being Dead of Night. Right. Which I talked about on uh, episode 61, where Kelly talked about Nightmares, which comes up briefly, and VHS 2 was Vanessa's pick, which also was discussed briefly on there. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, cons- that one's considered the first horror, not only first anthology, but the her- first horror film from Britain. That's well, what the hell did I write this note for? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> That's right. Um, and there are a few anthologies done. Uh, Orson Welles was in one. There's been a few other things that went on. But uh, it didn't really, it kind of faded. It really wasn't a big hit during the Universal years or anything along those lines. Roger Corman did one that uh, kind of picked it up again, but not really. <laughs> 
<laughs> it did all right. <laughs> and then nobody really talked about it again until uh, Black Sabbath came out. Not the band, the, the movie, which was um, a <clears throat> fairly successful feature. One of the, it was all right, but its biggest plus was it had Boris Karloff in the only time he ever played a vampire. <laughs> it was in that film. And he's kind of a scary-ass old man vampire. He does yeah. a good job in it. The, the, one of the ones I definitely took out of here that how have I not seen and I'm definitely going to see is, uh, I think it's pronounced Kwaidon. It's a Japanese horror anthology. Mm. Um, considered one of the first introductions to the West of the long-haired uh, woman of death in the segment called Woman of the Snow. Holy shit, this looks gorgeous. Mm. And weird gorgeous. Not gorgeous locations, but incredible sets. It's very obviously inside a studio, but the shit looks amazing. And apparently the director painted several of the backstops that it looks wild. So it's like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's quite an available on Criterion. Yeah, because they, they did a whole big... Every time I look up horror, there's like five movies from Criterion. That's one of yeah, them. That's that, and, and they have their 50% off sale right now. So that is actually currently being shipped to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then the big, big push to successful anthologies came in the 60s when Amicus came onto the scene. And they started up as sort of an alternative to Hammer in uh, British horror with uh, Dr. Terror's House of Horror. And it was a huge hit for Amicus. It did really well and uh, included a segment called Torture Garden. Well, actually, every segment was written by Robert Block. Wow. Which is probably why it's good. Asylum did, or sorry, Amicus did a great job of integrating the wraparound story. It's part of why I think theirs are so much more successful than a lot of them were. Um, a lot of times a wraparound story is just a, an annoying vehicle you got to get through. Mm -hmm. But they would integrate them in... And uh, like the asylum one would be a story in the asylum. And then you'd go back and the doctors would be involved. It just weaves really well. And like I said, this is sort of laundry listing. <laughs> so <laughs> after that, they talk a little bit about EC's influence on anthology. And uh, like the direct anthology influence it had on the first Tales from the Crypt film made in the 70s. Mm. Which a really strange Crypt Keeper. Basically a guy in a hood. Like, Okay. The most popular story coming out of that, of course, was Joan Collins during the Christmas yes. <laughs> episode. Mm -hmm. um, if you've seen anything of this, you've probably seen the image of the motorcycle rider with the skull mask, where he's, uh, that's almost always the image I've seen from this one when you see a poster or anything like that. This was surprising. <laughs> it was second to The Godfather at the box office the year it was released. Holy cow. Huh. So it was a massive hit. Wow. <laughs> part of what made, and going back to Amicus, part of what made their, uh, they made seven anthologies throughout their short run. And what made them so impressive is they could get anybody to be in it, it seemed. If there's a major British actor around when they were making them, they appeared in one of these films at some point in time. Wow. Their cast was just incredible. So that's part of what makes them really good is, there wasn't the stigma that the U.S. had a little bit with anthology films where it's just a waste of time Why tell that kind of story. Either British didn't have it or they didn't care. So mm -hmm. all the actors came out for it anyways. Um, less successful one, but sits in a lot of people's mind, is The Monster Club, which came out when it first came out and they before they released it. 
wasn't quite as kid friendly as it became, but it basically they turned it into a kid's horror anthology and looks yeah. pretty bad. <laughs> it is pretty bad, but I think that stars, I think that I watched that on Tubi or something and it's yeah. got uh, Peter Cushing mm-hmm. and Boris Karloff or, you know, just everybody. Yeah. Yeah. They still had great names in it. Uh, the, now while the British were doing films, U.S. anthologies are short form stories. They mix them in a little bit, not too deeply, but they do briefly talk about, um, Horror anthology like The Twilight Zone and Outer Limits and Thriller. Uh, I didn't know this either, but uh, one of the things that made Dario Argento so famous in Italy, because he is, um, at least for a time in Italy, he was George Lucas level famous. He was making a new movie. It was front page news in Italy. And apparently he did a horror anthology TV show where he was the introduction. He was the... uh, guy that told you what's coming up and it was watched by 13 million out of 50 million people in a country. Whoa. So it was like friends finale. Yeah. (laughs) Very, very popular. And now we have TV terror. Can you guess which one I came up for this one? I'm going to guess this is, um, uh, why can't I think of it? I know it's got trilogy of terror. Yes. I know it's got prey. Easily the most famous segment probably of any anthology ever, which is Prey, written by Richard Matheson, starring Karen Black, directed by Dan Curtis. And uh, Brian Usna mentioned that, oh yeah, of course it was an influence for dolls and (laughs) the puppet Mm -hmm. master movies. (laughs) Rebecca McKendry makes a brief thing where she talks a little bit about Dead and Night and uh, the 70s version. There's a 70s film with the exact same name called Dead and Night by Dan Curtis, also written by Richard Matheson. We were around in the 80s. There was a Freddy TV series that was on for a little while. There's the, as talked about on this show by Kelly a few times, the very successful overall, successful reboot. Well, not ratings wise, <laughs> but <laughs> the Twilight Zone reboot was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the 80s, yeah. yeah. Of course, then came Tales from the Crypt on HBO, which was a giant hit. Um which the 80s anthologies tended to be more humor-based. So it's viewed a lot of humor in there. And of course, which Creepshow is the master of the 80s anthology. And uh, boy, there was tons and tons of praise for that. Except for one guy said he didn't like Creepshow, but he was the only one. <laughs> we had also had Tales from the Hood, which came out as a fairly unique one, entirely black creative segments and uh one of the, the only one at this point except they're making more apparently there's going to be tales from the hood uh sequels being produced mm. uh one i recommended you might try from severin but i don't know if you should <laughs> for the thing called family portraits which is a dark deeply disturbing anthology about families or trick-or-treat came out and the abc's movies although there's one they talked about here i hadn't heard about uh, either of you guys seen southbound I have. I've heard of it. Sounds and really good. Not yet seen it. It's it? got uh, one decent segment, okay. and uh, they do a neat thing with the wraparound where they kind of tie it into all of the stories. So. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, that's what looked good. The segment they showed the wraparound looked like, all right. And a all-female anthology called XX, which had uh, larger budgets than the VHS movies or the um, ABCs of horror. Um. So that's largely what this movie is. It's just kind of talking about as they came out. But they do end. I will give you one of the two top five lists. You have to watch it if you want the other one. (laughs) (laughs) Top five anthology films overall. 
Number five, uh, Kwaidan, a Japanese one we talked about. Uh, four, From Beyond the Grave, which I don't think I mentioned, and I don't remember them talking about much either. Uh, number two, Tales from the Crypt by Amicus. Or number three, excuse me, number two, Dead of Night, the original, of course. Mm-hmm. Number one, Creep Show. So that one guy really was the only one. That right, he was wrong. Turns yeah. out. <laughs> then I'll leave this one blank. You can watch if you want to find out. But they also did best segments. However, I guarantee you, you can guess number one. Yeah. You know, it's the number one segment of all of every of all anthologies. anthologies? Mm-hmm. Oh, I would have thought it was the Joan Collins Santa Claus one. Uh, pray. Oh, pray. Of yeah. course, yeah. yeah. But I'll bet that's on the list, though, because, man, they talked a lot about how much they love that one. Um, Yeah, I've got my note at the end, like you started out on this segment where it's, well, it's kind of hard to talk about. It's interesting. (laughs) The doc is all of the notes and trivia, so I have none. Um, But uh, it's it's fun. It's worth watching. It's interesting, especially if you're interested in that kind of underappreciated horror form. And you can definitely put a list of films together watching this to uh, check out because they talk about a lot of really good ones that are available. Nice. What is that on again? That is a Severin Blu-ray release, but it's also available YouTube for okay. rental. Very cool. cool. Hmm. Well, guys, I think that means it's my choice for the next episode. Yep. I think yep. it does. I have got, I think, a fun idea, and I'm calling it Future Imperfect. <laughs> so your movie has to be set in the future, but... It has to be set in the future of the time it was made and in our actual past. Ooh, I like this. So mm-hmm. Blade Runner would be absolutely acceptable because it takes place in 2017. Blade Runner 2049 is right out. Yeah. Yes. So, or Death Race 2000. That one works because it was made in the 70s and set <laughs> in 2000. So something like that. Very cool. I love that. I love it too. Um. That brings us then to the end where we have to talk about uh, Eric, who brought mm. shirts and oh, yes. underwear. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see those. Well, those got I'll pocketed be, very quickly. I'll be showing you those later. No! <laughs> oh, my God. I need more of the whiskey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're working at getting the Strange Eons uh, shop up, I guess you could say, with our logo on things. We've got... Uh, Danny's got our the, his Etsy that has a few things on it, but we're going to be doing more of the official logo stuff. And the uh, underwear Kelly mentioned is actually kind of cool. It's an all-over print. I mean, <laughs> it's not just like a, a badge on the front or the back or something. <laughs> <laughs> just right on the butt. <laughs> <laughs> Aim here. Uh, the But uh, pretty nice shirts. We had some samples sent to us, so we could check out, make sure they're nice quality. And uh, so I think it's going to be something worth doing. Yeah. And Danny's got the coins available for yes. sale. And uh, I got tagged in a Instagram post from someone, Bibliorex Maximus. And I do not know who this is, but he posted a picture of the Strange Eons challenge coin and said some very nice things about us. So thank you very much. Uh, if I know you personally, you should <laughs> send me uh, something because I couldn't tell from the name who this was. Yeah. Uh, so, Yeah. All very cool stuff. Um, I want to thank everyone who's participating in this value for value model. Uh, you know, I moved out completely out of the house and I took all the money that we have uh, <laughs> got and I got myself a couple of hookers and a bunch of blow and I celebrated last night. So thanks, guys. I think it's really working out the way I'd hoped it would. 
No more oh, pizza right. money. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and thanks to everyone who's liking and sharing posts uh, and reaching out and just saying nice things. Uh, Ron, thank you so much for always including us and in, in the stuff that you're doing. I really appreciate that. And Danny, of course, is yeah. an absolute angel sent from the I, I, gods below. I noticed we had a... Uh, a speed challenge where Danny was upset that he wasn't the first to share that Ryan beat him. I beat him to that. <laughs> I love that everybody is that involved in this okay. kind of stuff. Makes me feel good. Keep trying. <laughs> so, all right, guys, that was the first episode in the new studio. What do you think? I, you know, change is always hard, yeah. but um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's nice. Like I feel like all the weather issues that were really pretty brutal are gone. It made it a challenging recording sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I never thought too much about it, but now that I don't have to think about it at all, I'm like, oh, huh. This frees my mind to actually think about the podcast instead of of the sweat running down my forehead. I can focus on what they're saying. Watching the seagulls dive bomb crows. (laughs) Which was fun. Which was fun. Of course. Yes. So, okay, well, we will be back here in one week and we are going to be talking Future Imperfect. Our show is recorded somewhere high above Naval Station Everett at the nexus of all realities and is engineered and produced by Eric Margaret. Our theme music is Strange Eons Part 1 by the band Nightshade and is used with permission. Find Strange Eons Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and wherever fine podcasts are found. Oh my God, I need more than whiskey.